coming up on the Picks and Pans podcast. We're back after a almost month-long hiatus, and we're going to catch up on everything that has been happening in the movie industry. Wonder Woman 1984 is going to HBO Max. We had a very tumultuous election, and it still feels like we're reliving it every single day. We got lots of movies we've been catching up on, plus some things that have been out this week we're going to talk about. Picks and Pans is back with the only critic coming up. Rose, where we're going, we don't need Rose. The Force will be with you. Always. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. To infinity and beyond! What do you want me to do? You just want me to hit you. Come on. I'm the king of the world! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. I'm walking here! I'm walking here! My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. I feel the need, the need for speed. They call me Mr. Tibbs. An answer. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! In Pan's podcast, a conversation show about movies and the struggles of getting a PlayStation 5. We're back after a little a little hiatus we took, and I'm excited to dive back into all the movie news and the stuff that's happening in the industry and, and around the industry and entertainment news in general. And joining me on my quest, and our quest is Matthew Porter joining me again. Matthew, welcome back. How are you? We haven't really we haven't been on in a minute. I know it's been wild. It's been uh it's been too long, Nate been far too long so let's just talk about some things that have that have, we haven't been on since <laughs> since election day election yeah. day was our last podcast and a lot has happened <laughs> a lot has happened since then and i don't know if it's just a combination of everything that's going on with politics and just covid and life speaking of covid matthew do you want to inform the viewers of uh yeah the reason I we've got, probably been taking a hiatus I, I got that Kobe. I got that good, good Kobe. Um, yeah, it's been a rough go of it, but I'm doing better now. I'm, I'm thankfully much, much better now that my taste has somewhat come back and my set, my smell has come back. Um, but yeah, I didn't, uh, it's, it's wild out here in Michigan, folks. Be smart. Be careful. I mean, I was being as careful as I could, and I thought I was being really mindful, too. And even so, I mean, I limited myself to only going out to public places um, two to three times a day. And that was, and I'm telling you, I'm in the process of, process of moving. So, like, this is, you know, it's difficult. I'm buying things for an apartment. I have to go, I have to get things. And so, nonetheless, you know, I still managed to get infected. And that would be um, another yeah. reason probably also why we've been off for a little bit. You've been moving. Yeah. Like I said, we had the election day, you caught COVID and life too. And it's just things kind of get away. And like, I think everybody was still processing from everything that, everything that was going on in the, in the election. And it's, and it's still going on in case you didn't hear the news today, Joe Biden won Mech, uh, uh, Wisconsin again, the recount yeah. that was, that was uh, initiated by the Trump campaign for an additional $3 million actually netted more votes for Biden, which you love to see it. 
We love to see. I don't it. know about you, but yeah, it's it's getting, it's just more fun the second time yeah, around. I, all these- and I like seeing you know Trump. He's tweeting just mindless things, and he's going on. You know, it's so funny. And we can talk about this because it's been it's been a little while. It's funny because he he goes on this tangent on his Twitter feed about how he hates Fox News and how the daytime ratings and then and then but then he has no problem going on a Fox News Sunday morning program to to spout his baseless conspiracy theories. So I just, it's just, everybody knows it. It's just a cycle, but it is fun watching him die a slow, painful political death. And having to watch it happen again and again. It's really, I really enjoy that. That's, it's great. It, it, it gives us, it gives us satisfaction, but um, in this hard time when we can't get a PlayStation five and all we can just, get is COVID. I was just going to segue into that. Me and Matthew have been trying to get our hands on the hottest ticket item of the holiday season. It is a PlayStation 5. No offense to the Xbox Series X, but we want a PlayStation 5, and it is absolutely impossible to get. Matthew, what is going through your mind? You get online, Walmart says they're going to do a stock drop, and it says 9 p.m. Eastern. And I'm right there with um, you. We're, we're refreshing. We're clicking the refresh button. And then 901 happens, and it just feels like everything, it, it's gone. There's no, there's no chance, right? And it's gone. <laughs> it reminds me of that episode. I don't know if you know that episode of South Park where he, like, they, they invest their money, and, and they go into this like, uh, town investment banker, and he says, we're going to put yourself in a sock. It's going to go good, and it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> like every time they they put their money in, that's yeah. how I feel about every single time I click onto a link that that says theorizes there's going to be a stock of PlayStation Five. Um, it's it's insane. Must be getting absorbed by bots or something. Because if you go on all these, Gotta I went on be. a resale a resale site and they have I think there was like forty five hundred PlayStation Fives in stock, or something crazy. Yeah. But it was like obviously these I'm not paying above the price of what it actually costs. Like some of these resale sites, I think on um. Uh, eBay, I saw people were bidding. It was like fifteen hundred bucks. Why? Yeah. People, you know that someday that, that I mean Sony will catch up, eventually will catch up to the demand. And they say they claim that they're gonna have more by the by the holiday season. And you wonder though, Matthew, what was Sony th- like? Sony or Microsoft? Because Microsoft hasn't had any Xboxes in stock either. It's just how did we not anticipate? We knew that there was going to be this type of demand. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're all staying at home. Video gaming has, I think, jumped 25% year-to-year usage or quarter. I, you know, That's probably wrong. Some statistic. Needless to say, we're all at home, and we're playing video games yeah. more. And how did Sony not see the writing on the wall? Or do you think it's just the demand was just too high? Or do you think there's just the, the, the amount I of bots-to-people ratio? Yeah, I think it's something to do with bots. I think it's a perfect storm, honestly. But I also think that it it really has to do with these bots and people getting these and re, and resale. I think that everyone is seeing this as now an opportunity since they saw the demand in the beginning. And they're like, oh, if as soon as they get an op- option to have one, they get three or four. And there really should be like a limit per card or something. There really should be a way for people to be limited right now when it's such a finite amount. One per household, right. And I think the issue that I was seeing on Twitter and the sphere was people were getting more than that. And I told you in our, in, our, in our local neighborhood here, it was Thanksgiving night. I was driving back from um, a small um, – my girlfriend's parents' Thanksgiving. It was just, just four of us, so don't come calling the COVID police on me. And <laughs> I was coming back, and I was like, I'm just going to for gigs be, uh, for – for giggles, just drive through the Walmart parking lot, the GameStop parking lot, because GameStop had, we're going to have consoles in stock minimum. I think, what was it? Two, 
I think they said two, yeah. right? So yeah. <laughs> the odds are very stacked against you. And there were, it was just, this was eight o'clock on Thanksgiving night. Doors open Friday morning, 7 a.m. I considered doing this, but I obviously talked myself out of it. But people were camped out. People were literally in tents, pitching tents overnight to try and get a PlayStation 5 on Friday morning. What are your initial unreal. reactions to that? People will just do anything, huh? I think it's... I think it's unreal. I think that there's this demand that's been created. And now Sony, I think they're riding it more than anything because it is a... It's such good publicity it's, because it's the, it, yeah. they can keep touting. But they say the biggest console launch, Matthew. What does that mean? Because I don't know. I know a handful of people that actually have one. How is it the biggest when I don't know anybody that's been able to actually secure one outside of a select individuals? Because everyone, because now everyone wants it too. And they've, and they've sold out. Even if they don't, they don't care about like honestly who gets it if, if if there's people who are buying 10 at once like they're selling out so i mean it's ridiculous it's i'm really upset marketing. that i even yeah i'm really upset that i even want one it's more like i was talking to a friend a mutual friend of ours about this um and i said i didn't even want one that bad i did want one but i was like you know what i mean but now i noticed that like there's this thing that i think we all have as a collective society in america that's like you know like scarcity uh it's called, it's called capitalism matthew <laughs> yeah capitalism but like there's like this scarcity rage that we get which i get all the time too it's not that i even it's like every, it's like to- it's like toilet paper like, at the beginning of the pandemic everybody needed it everybody wanted it so you rushed to get it and then it was gone it's kind of i mean that's a in, more expensive well, analogy was the playstation 5 but you know what I mean. my necessity even for a playstation 5 isn't that great like i will play games on it of course but same it's like i don't really I necessarily it. need one right now but i want one. yeah and now it's because of the nature of this, the scarcity rage, that I'm all over wanting one so bad. But I'm trying to because it's like, like if you also if you get one, it's just like wow, I I'm in a select few. I I got one. I got my hands. Status on. symbol now. It's yeah. like when, when, <laughs> I actually did upgrade my TV. Out. I got a 4K TV over uh, before Black Friday because they were just crazy Same. deals, and I got a 60 inch 4K TV. And for the now, because I knew PlayStation 5, it was going to be 4K. That's the next thing. We had 1080p Blu-ray. Now mm-hmm. it is 2180p 4K HDR, high dynamic, high, dyna- high dynamic range. And so I do want a PlayStation 5 for the 4K gaming, but also because it is built in. It is a built-in 4K Blu-ray player, which is what I want, so I can get all these, all the Star Wars movies, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. You can get all those on 4K and watch it. Like it's supposed to be pretty good. I don't know. I don't have one yet. So Sony, <laughs> if you're listening, please, we will. We'll plug. We'll be sponsors. We'll plug everything Sony. We'll. They I'll really, buy a Sony they definitely computer. really need. I'll buy Sony they TV. Really everything. Just give us a place to survive. <laughs> they need yeah, just it. Just give us a couple. Just, just give a give couple. Us, yeah, just give us a few. Okay. All right, Matthew. <sighs> so we've been off for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. I think later we're going to talk a little more in depth and detail about Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy, which stars Glenn Close and Amy Adams, which has caused a quite a bit of stir of controversy. Don't know if you've seen the, the Twitter stuff and the timelines and the feeds. I um, actually, I kind of had that feeling when I was watching it uh, a couple weeks ago, but yeah, we'll talk about it. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. And we're also going to talk about the happiest season, which is Clea Duvall's uh, holiday comedy the first one i think mainstream studio comedy about um, a lesbian romance at christmas time which is great and historic for many different reasons we'll, we'll talk about that but let's talk about some other things that we've been watching that we're not necessarily going to be reviewing today maybe in the future we'll talk about more in depth and detail first off i want to talk about pixar's soul which we both had the chance to watch this week and i think i speak for both of us when i say it is incredible it wrecked me it truly wrecked me. But isn't yeah, that Pixar I, though? Um, Pixar wrecks us, right? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but I mean, it, you always get, I always, at least I always had this thing of, they, there's no way to top it. I always go, well, it's going to be, there's going to be a diminishing value or a diminishing return now because I've seen every great thing they can do. And then lo and behold, I, maybe that attitude's helping me because every time I go in thinking, you know what, don't set your expectations like through the roof because they've already done amazing things. And then I go in and I see it and it, and it all, oh, once again, it's like, they're not even, I won't, we can't talk about it too much, but I, I will just say that they're not even like pulling any punches anymore about with their messaging. It's beautiful. It's, it's very deep for a kid's film. And we'll, and we'll, we'll talk more in depth once it gets closer to its release. It comes out on Christmas day on Disney plus. And there's a lot there too for kids. And like Pixar is so good about tackling mature and uh, like hard themes that are for, they can make it accessible for children. But like, it's also, you know, it's a, it's accessible for the adults who like the adults in the room necessarily, like if they want to watch it, they want to see it, they want to absorb it. And that's kind of this experience. It's a, it has a great score and we're not going to, we're not going to talk Oscars yet, but obviously this is the top one, I think going to be a shoe in for uh, best animated feature. And John I actually Baptiste. think, and I actually think it will break into the best picture field too. I actually think it'll be one of the few animated films that actually gets into the best picture race as well. It's, it's I that, agree. Yeah. I want to add, I want to add this really quick before we move away from it. I, I want to put everyone on Twitter in their place with this movie with one thing, because I was, uh, I was of the same sort of apprehension, but I didn't do what a lot of people did, which was, which was they saw the trailer for soul and everyone jumped down the throat of like the representation sort of train of like, wow, they're going to take a, a black character, a great chance for representation. And they're going to make him this blue blob the entire movie. I'm going to step out and I'm not, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to give anything. No spoilers. I'll just say this now. They did not do exactly what you think they did. And, it, and it's an amazing film for representation. And I so, didn't think that like, they were going, I was never on that train. I was like, oh, I'm going to wait and see. Like I was never. I know it was Twitter. Yeah. It was Twitter up in arms and rightfully so about it. at least they were, they were making the comparison to the frog prince or I should say the. Um, Princess the princess and the, and the frog. frog. Yeah. Princess yeah. and the frog. And, and like there were, it was an apt like fear. And I bet if we go back guys, and we, we could find in the podcast library archives somewhere. I remember we talked about this on the pod. So yeah, well, I was thinking I was worried, but I also was like, I'm wait, I'm waiting to see because I do give, I give the benefit of the doubt. Like it, they're trying to do something clearly here Correct. and they were, and I will say they did anyway. Right. All right. Um, another film that we watched that's coming out closer to Christmas time is called uh, promising young woman which is Carrie Mulligan, our boy Bo Burnham, who we've both had the privilege of, of having interactions with. I interviewed him. You met him in a couple of his shows. Incredible. Breakout role for him in this, you think, maybe? Like, Huge. Maybe the one, I the thought, one role that's like big, like this is his biggest role to date as far yes. as like mainstream. And I, mean, I, I don't count eighth grade because he was a director, even, but as far as an yeah. actor. I thought he was the only one who even rivaled in, in memory like uh, – Carrie Mulligan's performance in that movie. So, yeah. And Carrie Mulligan is great. And I think yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting Oscar year. And I want to save this topic for a later date, but it is, it is going to be a tight best actress field. Cause you got right now and you haven't seen it, uh, but Vanessa Kirby for me actually slays in pieces of a woman, which is coming out at the end, uh, beginning of January on Netflix. Netflix picked this up out of cans and Vanessa Kirby plays uh, a woman who gives who gives birth, and this is actually what I've been watching. So I'm just going to segue into this. But she's but there's a the first thirty minutes of of pieces of a woman is a birthing sequence in one shot of her giving birth for thirty minutes. That's like thirty five minutes, one take, no cuts of this birthing sequence, and you f I felt like I was giving birth right, and 
And uh, the, 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 the plot of the film, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm digressing from what Promising a Woman is about. We'll get back to that. But she gives birth, and then the, the child dies in childbirth. So, like, you, like, oof. and then the rest of the movie is about the rest of, like, how they fought with that. Shia LaBeouf co-stars in it. Um, great, great, great film. But her performance, Vanessa Kirby's, and I think Carrie Mulligan's performance in Promising Young Woman, which is, like, this retro kind of rape revenge thriller that I is just really, really clever. Can't talk enough about it. And the secrets and there's twists that are jaw dropping in the way that it ends. And I think Matthew can attest to this. It's just, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just really, 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 really good. Um, do you want to add anything or? It's a, it's a shock to me that it had to come Christmas. So many things got pushed to Christmas and it's like one of those movies that Limited. I fear might get overlooked because of its Well, no, no, but do, you, but do you know why? See, original, so the Oscar season has been extended into April this year, which is another conversation that we'll mm-hmm. have later too. So that's the time that, so originally like movies like, you know, like last year, Just Mercy, Just Mercy opened on Christmas in limited release in like 30 theaters in New York and LA because to qualify for the Oscars, but then it didn't open wide until January. This is the same thing for Promising a Woman. It's a platform release is what they call it. So it's opening minimalistically in Christmas, not wide. Maybe it is now because of COVID. I don't know. And then then later it'll be available. Well, with Universal's model, it'll be on video on demand beginning in January. So that's the play. Uh, So I don't think, and plus now that the season's until April, there's a lot of room for things to be discovered. And now there's um, the Sundance Film Festival just announced that they're going virtual for 2021. A movie theoretically now could premiere at Sundance and maintain momentum into, because the deadline's February 28th. So that could happen. So there's a long, long way to go. Right now, you know, we're looking at front runners. Um, Nomad Land is right up there. The Francis McDormand um, uh, uh, drama. It's got a lot of good buzz. Uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven. Tom Hanks's News of the World. There's a lot of. Um, I just saw a film this week called Minari, which had Stephen Ewan. From oh yeah. The fame. And about this. That movie absolutely destroyed me. So that's gonna be a. That's gonna be in the Oscar conversation. It's gonna be momentum, it's, right? momentum it's just going to be what's going to come back at the right time like i know people say and i and um i rewatched the trial of the chicago seven this week because i'm trying to i'm trying to get a lockdown of my best of the year list i'm really really trying to main like get that down and it's hard because there were so many great movies this year so many great movies and even in the pandemic year i've seen me and you i don't know if you matthew but i've seen more movies than i've ever have in my life it was an incredible can we let's take a moment because it was an incredible number and i don't know where it is now when you had spoken to me it was in the 300s or the well if we included my quarantine catch-up series movies that i rewatched plus new yeah. 2020 releases yeah it was somewhere we're like 450 uh, just 2020 releases though uh i'm at two i'm above 230 i think it was 231 last time i checked and that's yeah that's all 2020 releases for perspective last year all 2020 releases new movies it was 175 so that is a substantial jump from last year to this year yeah. that's just because we have you're time. gonna get 250 it's possible I get to two fifty, yeah, just because screener season's I happening and Oscar season, and we're getting we're getting we're getting bombarded with stuff. That's so, why I was gonna say, by the way, Nate, isn't it tricky? Because when you're going through your list and you're thinking of what you want to put in there, 
you have to consider the fact that there are a lot of releases that will not technically come out that you've already seen that that are out next yeah, year. Yeah, well, well, Pieces of a Woman will be a will be a prime example because that will that's in my top five as we speak. It's sitting probably like number three or four, um, and that happens every year. There's always um, like last year, Just Mercy was on my list. Uh, 1917 was on my list, and that my list published you know December 15th or something, and that didn't come out till January. So, it's just that's just when they come out and that's, you know, technically they're 2020 Fair. releases. So you got to keep it in. There's been a online chatter about, are you ending the, are you making your best of year list mm-hmm. uh, the end of year or the Oscar deadline? Because technically the Oscar deadline, those, a lot of those films would have technically in another year would have made your list. And I said, no, I'm going to, they, they have to come out in 2020. They have to have a, a release in 2020. Makes more sense, um, yeah. So so you, you deal with it. Um, but like I'm, I'm revisiting Chicago 7, and I think people right now, it's out of the conversation because it's not – it's not out. It's not getting about a buzz. You know, that's, they think there's a recency bias. And this is part of the reason what propelled 1917 so far in the awards season last year is because it came at the last minute. It came in right as the, all the deadlines and voting guilds and everything was done or getting done. And that's why I was able to snag all these, this momentum because it came down to 1917 and Parasite, obviously the better film won, but 1917 was neck and neck with Parasite for the whole award cycle. And that's because it came out right at the cusp of the year. And that could be the benefit of something like Promising Young Woman because it's going to be fresh in everybody's mind. I think Chicago 7 is going to come back. It's, it, right now, it's, it's tapered off. It's right where it needs to be. Um, I think it actually does, barring anything that's coming out, it's the type of Oscar movie that I think, Oscar bait film, that does make it all the way to best picture. It'll be close. We'll see. It's too early. Um, but yeah. Um, also, there's um, there's Mank coming out, um, which I've seen. The Gary Oldman plays the Citizen Kane screenwriter. It was directed by David Fincher. A big, buzzy Netflix black and white release. It's coming out on Friday. Uh, and then later we'll talk. We'll talk about Hillbilly Elegy's Oscar prospects when we discuss it. I really think there is only one Oscar in consideration, and I think you might know what I mean. There's probably only one person yeah. that I think out of that whole movie gets a nomination and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. And that's even a big if, right? Um, yeah. But also, so let's, um, we both, we both watched uh, the Queen's Gambit, right? You good pick on that. You watched it. We, I did. Yes. I actually made it back to watch it again. I liked it so much. Here's the thing. Wow. I, I cannot um, have that I, much time. I don't have time to sit there I didn't and watch, watch Here's the thing. Again. I didn't watch. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't watch the whole thing. I mean, I went back and literally just flipped through a few episodes again. Cause it was just such a, again, I was, you know, recently just, my body was really going through it with COVID. <laughs> so I was like trying to find things that were yeah. familiar and, and yeah. So I went with some familiar stuff. Um, while well, I did get some new stuff. In I've there, always but, uh, liked yeah. chess. I'm a big chess fan. I play yeah. chess a lot. Yeah. And now it's like chess is cool because of this show. And it's yeah. like, what do you, chess has always been cool. People. I like, I, love, I was reading a statistic. I love all the memes. I saw that statistic about how chess sets, anything chess related is 35% sales have skyrocketed because of that show. <laughs> and like the, the top eight trending searches on Google for last month, it uh, was all chess stuff. And I'm just like, wow, look at this making chess cool. Well, listen, I've been, I went back and watched Emma again too, because of this, because of Anya Taylor joy. And I want to just point out that I've been saying since so before it. Emma, you, I mean, it's worth it. You're wild. It's on but anyway, 
it's so good and she is just in general she's just someone to really watch clearly because she really carried this i don't think this show is anywhere near what it would be if it if she's not in that role she really carried that that whole that whole show yeah i've also been watching the um movie there the 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 miniseries a teacher with kate mara and um, uh, the, is the, the actor from Love Nick Simon's Robinson. Nick yep. Robinson is it good? Because yep. I was hesitant. I actually the reviews yes, were modeled, were were very mixed. They're using it as an opportunity as a real sort of social commentary teaching lesson, and they aren't going too crazy with that. Um, but they also are being mindful because you know this can become really fetishized, and and a lot of times people will look at it, a a, a show recommend that, it? like. I do recommend it because it doesn't. Well, a we haven't let I me down yet. Both, both performances are amazing because they're really the show, and then B they don't glorify uh, a student-teacher relationship, which Good. is what. Well, the, I'm gonna need a new show to watch because uh, the Undoing ends tonight on HBO. And are you watching the Undoing? <laughs> <laughs> it is no i keep it hearing is about it fantastic too. it is so good and tonight is the finale and i'm it's a whodunit because it's a court maybe like the you know and you gotta figure oh, out who did, it's like tonight I is am, the tonight I, is the so stay off twitter if you don't want to because i i usually like wait a couple days because i don't my schedule i don't watch it when it airs sunday nights because whatever but tonight i have to watch it because the finale will be well it'll be immediately all over the airwaves so i gotta find out before can i tell you that I, you know what got ruined for me the mandalorian you know got, yes me too the this Mandal- week this week's the episode Mandalorian got ruined for me dude yep as soon as the episode aired i was like seeing screenshots all over twitter people were posting pics and everything and i'm just like what and i won't say it i won't say it on here because it, it upset me I mean, so much point, it was one of those things where i, I had just i had was just it a spoken certain, to someone was it about a, was it about a certain character or it was about a certain revelation a name okay yeah yes. same 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 i'm not gonna say i actually didn't see that ahead of time i just knew it was coming up like i just knew but so upset I, it's like so I, upset. but you knew the net you found out the name before. i wasn't even yeah i wasn't even upset just about like okay i someone told me that we find out i'm gonna say it anyway i'm not gonna say that name but i'm gonna say we find out baby yoda's name and that's been as i told you the driving force of me watching the show for as a lot of people because i honestly i'm not that big into star wars but i Baby love Yoda's what been mandalorian's saving doing me. though i love it because yeah, but for- mandalorian no go ahead the mystery of it there's a mystery uh, that we've added to it it's not just character based like in the sense that we're following a line and we're going through it's like we have multiple character arcs happening at once and we also have a history being told and and being projected into a future that we don't really understand from the main storylines we've diverged mm-hmm. so much into the lore of it I love what Mandalorian is doing because I am a Star Wars fan, as you can see behind me. I love Star Wars. I, I, I love, I love, <laughs> I love the lore, and I think the movies, especially the last Star Wars movie, Rise of Skywalker, which I still liked, but Star Wars is is a it's inconsistent as far as the quality. And mm-hmm. for every The Last Jedi, we get a you know Attack of the Clones or something. Or a this solo, is a new gold standard. Or a solo. And I think Mandalorian is the perfect epitome of what Star Wars should be. It is once a week. It is a 45-minute, sometimes it's like even 35-minute, 30-minute episodic structure where it's just like we follow this character and he's just going through on misadventures. It's like a... It's like a um, like a talkie of the week, like back on back in the day, every Saturday you'd go to the local theater and there'd be like a 45 minute, hour minute or hour long special. And it was just like the special of the week. This is what this week's episode is. It's like there, there is a loosely connected storyline and you see what's happening, but really each week it's just like, this is the objective. This is what we're doing. And it's a big, be- it has a beginning, a middle and an end. And then it's just like, you can forget about it's- it. 
it's the adventures it's like yeah. chronicles of an, of adventures and right. that's what i think at its best star wars has been the drama is interesting when it can become when it's natural when it, not when it's forced um and the and, human connection that we yeah. get to like you said baby yoda and uh the mandalorian and like that connection so, and that kinship so like we we feel that bond pissed so pissed about <laughs> finding out baby yoda's name before i honestly was almost like i am i'm gonna stop watching it because i was so upset but i'm not i'm not i'm gonna keep watching it no I'm you gotta upset. it's it's one of those where it's like the, the zykes and pe- the zeitgeist and people are chatting about it and talking about it um okay so let's roll into another topic here speaking of uh so movie theaters have recently closed again here in michigan they mm. they were open there for i think we had about 40 days we were open and then they closed again uh, two weeks ago per the, the Health and Human Services Department. And this is just here. It's happening everywhere. And we just got the box office numbers in, Matthew, uh, over the weekend. So there's a, The Crude's A New Age, which is the DreamWorks animation sequel, which I saw. It was pretty good. And it made – like I saw these numbers, and it was like, oh, my God, I haven't seen numbers like this in – it was it was bigger than tenant it had a 15 million dollar five-day opening now i know we say well that's that's about probably 20 percent of what it could do but it's it's interesting because it just shows that well maybe there is some life here there's some um something here for theaters to kind of latch onto. it's like oh well this still made money and obviously it falls under that universal pvod deal where it's going to be on premium video on demand i think on december 23rd just in time for christmas you know that that night for 19.99 the rental thing you know the same thing that world tour did and king of staten island did it's that model that seminal classic trolls to world tour the the trailblazer trolls world tour never forget (laughs) trolls world tour started all of this so it's crazy to think that. So I saw those numbers and it's like, wow. But obviously Thanksgiving is usually a busy holiday quarter. Last year, I think Frozen 2 made $181 million. So we're a far cry away from the box office logistics. But I, I bring this up because recently news broke, Matthew, that Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be mm-hmm. streaming on HBO Max as well as opening in theaters that are open and available on Christmas Day. I what broke th- that news to you. You did. I didn't know that. You actually were my secondary source on that. I had heard I had heard that there were conversations happening, but I didn't know it was confirmed until you told me. Like I heard mumblings in the industry that this was probably going to happen, but I was like, no, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, they're not gonna skip the and then they're not skipping theaters. They're just giving people the option. Which for right yeah. now, I think is the right move. I think if you're gonna release a movie in theaters, you gotta give them the option to watch it at home. Like you just do. And Universal's doing that with crudes in the way that, well, right now it's in theaters, but knowing in a couple weeks, you're going to have the opportunity to see it at home. Wonder Woman's going day and date. They're doing that. What are your thoughts? Are you kind of, I'm kind of, you know, do I see it in a theater? Like do, if my local theater's open, do I maybe go on Christmas day and see it in a theater? I don't, you know, like I'm grappling with that, but probably We have this issue, Nate, as to where we are when we started this podcast, which is one step forward, two steps back with this whole situation right now in regards to COVID. Well, Cruz, step forward. Like we're getting like box office biggest numbers since Tenet, bigger than Tenet. And then that movie theater's closed, steps, two steps back. We're back to, you know, point A. So I I just think if if we're in a place where things are looking better and, and the, but the problem is that everyone it's is not, a little we're bit We're not going to be better until people think that yeah, 2021 everyone is going to flip and it's all going to go away and it's not. Yeah. They think that the, you know, Pfizer announces a, a potential 
uh, vaccine and all of a sudden, oh, everything's fine. It's like, no, 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 we have to, everyone has to get that. It's and good for my stocks. Not my gonna, stock portfolio jumped yeah. up, which I appreciated. They're, they're not going to just give it away. I profit right off out of, of capitalism. <laughs> Oof, that's hard. You know that's what I saw? Can I side, side quiz you real quick? There was an analogy that I saw was um, uh, MoviePass was the closest thing I think we ever got to distribution of wealth because wealthy investors paid for all of us to go to the yep. movies. Yep. <laughs> For that like was twelve months, like dream. we we they didn't make any money, but they were paying for all of us to go see movies. It's like that was nice. <laughs> a dream, a true dream. No, I um, yeah, I know. Please pour one out for Movie Pass. Listen, I I hope that things get better. That's all I'm hoping, and I'm more hopeful. You know, by the by the day with the potential for things to get better, but I don't I don't see it happening yet. So we'll see. So you're gonna be watching on HBO Max, I'm assuming Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be what I'm gonna go with. I, I you know what, if you it might were, be you know immune. Though. You might be immune. I might, I might have the antibodies. We don't know. You should um, get the test. But you know, I know. Um, you know what? You are the father. I'm. I think. I think. I detected determined that was a lie. <laughs> that what? Um, I, I was more excited about the idea of Black Widow. I thought because I heard murmurings about the potential of a of a uh, Disney movie going premium. To, uh, what was it? Yes. Oh, Premier Access. Yeah. yeah, and I was like hopeful about that being the situation. You know what? If it, if it were Black Widow, I might go. I might go. But well, I, we don't I have to make that decision because Black Widow is going to open in theaters on in May, which hopefully by then we should be getting back to normal by May. I think we'll be close, closing I mean, the gap. We were saying that about August. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very true. Very true. But the good news is Christmas Day, people are going to have a lot of options to watch at home. They're going to have the Croods. You know, they can watch the Croods. Um, Soul is on Disney Plus, and then Wonder Woman is on Chris is on HBO Max. So really, I mean, it, these movies would be opening in theater would be in theaters regardless. Anyway, now you just have the option of watching them at home. You know. And it's all going to be cost money. Nope. Souls free. Uh, Crudes will be, I think, $20 rental. But really, all the family around the holidays, you're going to, I mean, we talk about 20 bucks isn't that much, you know, and you're supporting, you know, whatever. Um, Wonder Woman isn't going to, Wonder Woman, it's weird. So Wonder Woman's going to be available for 31 days only on HBO Max, and then it's going to leave, and then it's going to go for a theatrical exclusive run, I think, for a couple. It's a weird hybrid plan that Warner Brothers uh, concocted. It's It's interesting. And, um, you know, the good thing is that they are giving it to theaters that are going to be available to open. And the problem is, and people, Matthew, I hear, you know, why, why not move it? Why this is a big movie. It's huge. Why not save it for next year? And I understand that, but here's the thing. The movie was shot in 2018. The movie was, it's been done for almost two years. Now you're pushing into 2021 We're next year. It's three years later. It, It gets, it gets stale. It, after a certain while, it's a movie sits on a shelf for so long. It's like eventually you got to release it. Eventually we got to be like, okay, well this is. And if if by next May, if we are still in this situation, mark my words, Black Widow, they can't hold on to it. They will have to release it on Disney Plus for that thirty dollars or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well, fingers crossed, right? Fingers crossed. Okay, um, now into the the fun part of the pod. We're going to talk about some movies that we were, we're, we're kind of going to review this week. Uh, first up on the docket is Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy. When we come back, well, I thought your mama was going to be all right. <laughs> be happy. I know I could have done better, but you you got to decide. You want to be somebody, 
or not. I've been doing real good. I just had a down month. I got an interview tomorrow, Mom. Otherwise, I... Oh, you know me. I always land on my feet. Don't look at that. Come on. Come on. Don't you look at You look at me. You look at me. You let her get away with this every time. I told you that I would do better. You always say that. You're lying. I always try. You got to think about these kids. What do you think I've been thinking about since I was 18 years old, huh? Never had a life where I wasn't thinking about the kids. Do you actually want to be dead, Mom? Or are you just too lazy to try? Oh, I tried. Plenty. Uh, Matthew, let's talk about Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy, which is um, it's an adaptation of J.D. Vance's memoir. And it's, it's the kind of film, you know, Ron Howard, Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, what, you know, he made that great documentary earlier this year, Rebuilding Paradise. He's a very inconsistent director when it comes to films like he, for every How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is not regarded as the classic that it is to us. People in some circles do, but you know what I mean? And so this film, he's assembled a great cast. He's got Amy Adams, who is always, I think she's got to be one of the most nominated actresses of our generation. Like she's a great Beyond actress. Consistent. She she's so consistent. Always, you see her name and it's like, wow, I'm going to get a, a, a great performance out of her. And then Glenn Close, which, you know, a couple years ago, she was the favorite to win that's ironic. She was the favorite to win Best Actress, and then she lost to Olivia Coleman for The Favorite. So that was kind of like that vehicle, the, the wife, that was like almost her due to get Oscar glory. So I watched Hillbilly Elegy, and I kind of see this, her performance as, as Mama, a crazy eccentric grandmother that, who loves Terminator 2. I see that as this is her... She's trying again. She's like, all right, well, that didn't work out. Let me just try and take one last – and Glenn Close is more than deserving of an Oscar over her luxur- luxurious career. Um, so the film is about uh, J.D. Vance, his memoir, obviously, and it's about him. He's a rural kid from Ohio who goes to Yale, and he gets – you know, he's a hotshot lawyer, or he wants to be a lawyer, I should say. And then his mom, played by Amy Adams, who is a drug addict, used to be a nurse, gets a call from his sister, played by Haley Bennett, says, I need you to come home. On the night of – he's got a big – he's got a big interview the next day. So he has to go home, and it brings back all these flashbacks and these memories of when he was growing up in the 90s and, you know – Kind of like this whole message, kumbaya thing about never forgetting where you come from. Um, and I could not help but thinking that Ron Howard, even though he, he's good at pulling on the emotional strings and he's good at like reaching in, I think his zest is gone. Um, I, I'm actually a pan. I'm a pan on Hillbilly Elegy for a lot of reasons. Ooh, interesting. Um, because I, it's, it's confusing because the, the memoir, it wasn't, it wasn't about the family. In this movie, Ron Howard obviously takes the liberties and he makes it about the family. And it, it kind of has this message of, well, if I'm a white kid who grew up in Ohio, Southern, I can go and I can achieve my, my goals and stuff. And then I can come back and tell everybody about how great of, I don't know. It just sound condescending. It was, it was mediocre. I, Amy Adams, she's doing a lot here. She's reaching reaching and i did not connect emotionally with the performance i thought it was um it was it was something you know i get i understand the idea this was written in 2006 2016 the book and it was on the number one charts of the bestseller list it was you know it was written because it was to 
maybe give an insight into the Trump viewers or Trump voters and their mindset, understanding conservatives and this whole let's reach across the aisle and understanding our differences, which is kind of what Ron Howard is doing here. I just don't think it ever, I don't think it ever works. Glenn Close, on the other hand, is terrific. She does what she can. She tries to salvage, you know, whatever is here for her to salvage. If anybody in this film gets nominated and it's a big if, it will be Glenn Close. So um, let's talk about it, Matthew. Where are you? What are your thoughts? You just watched it. It's... It's manipulative. Yeah, it's manipulative. It yeah, really it's is. a harrowing story. It's a harrowing story, and and I honestly, I, I have, I feel a little too close to it because uh, not to get into my personal life too much, but I just have family that I, I've had similar situations, and just similar characters that I, I've I've seen before, and so it's not that it's uh, manipulative to me so much as it is, uh, I didn't see a great ending and point to the movie. The movie. It was one of those things, and this is going to be... Uh, it's like I you think, watch... Uh, what'd you say? No, go ahead. It's going to be a controversial opinion because I know that you love this movie. But again, it's like a boyhood to me where um, uh, just this, the similar sort of idea of looking at this, this piece of pie of a person's life. I know you're going to get upset. But um, no. You may be in the same conversation. Okay. Agree to disagree. But anyway... Um, yeah, no, I felt like it, it was a one-trick pony in the sense that it, it, was, it was about it was meandering, this, you know. And we're it, just, we're going to put all our hopes on this one little boy and we're going to hope that, you know, and then you're like, what, what about the sister? What about, and, and it's clearly a true story, what have you, whatever. I know things get manipulated within those tales anyway, but. Um, it's like watchable and like, I know there's, there's been like, there's been some stuff out there in the, in the, in the Twitter sphere and people and like older folks and parents and stuff, people are like recommending, I see it on Facebook. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And it's, there's this, and sometimes people, you know, they want to feel good, but I mean, digging underneath it, right. The majority of the movie of Hillbilly Elegy rests on Mama's uh, hope that her family will lead a better life, right? That's the whole idea. It's, the, it's the generational tra- thing. It's tra- yeah, it's trauma porn. That's what it is. That's what right. I really came away with it from. That's a good, that's it, a good There's analogy. something in there. There's something in there for everyone to connect to the like traumatically. Something in there for everyone, whether it be opioids, whether well, it be and, and my and like um, for mama, my grandmother who just passed away. Abuse. That was exactly who I related it to. There is definitely something yeah. in here for everybody to relate to. It just like it doesn't connect in a way that makes a grand story. And then it like you said, it hits a resounding emotional conclusion that hits you, right? My thing yeah. is is that, like I said, it's a, the whole movie is like the generational thing about how Mama hopes that the family will rise above this and get, it, and get away from a better life. But I think that the message is muffled because judging by the opening scene in the movie and knowing that we're reading this book, we already know that that's already happened. We know that JD is going to lead a better life. We know that he is going to be successful. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen his Twitter feed. It's not very friendly. Don't go. That'll really make your sour taste of the. Film. Is that okay? So here's here. So here's what it is. I I figured that's what it was because I only heard here's the. Uh, and it's not like it's not a conservative. Like, I don't have a problem with the conservatives, but like the way that he like he's he tweeted something about daylight savings time is bad for fertility rates or something on women or something. It's just something. Oh my word. Something very very yeah. Sorry. The conjecture I've heard around this movie is simply that there's a Trump supporter. Um, I, I didn't hear. I never, and I never really looked too hard. And we don't hate. I, I don't hate all Trump it. supporters. So it's like it's not even that. It's there's just a, the way his. Yeah, there's yeah, a Trump it, supporter involved in this film. Is how I really heard it. And I was like, what does that mean? And so when I watched it, I kept waiting for a moment where they like mentioned it in the film. And well, Ron Howard is a, is, a, is a Democrat, so that wouldn't happen. And he really did it. He yeah. he tried to toe the line, and you know, he, you could you could feel it. Yeah, and and it was the cool. He grew thing up in Oklahoma. Yeah. 
yeah, there's a cultural thing that I could sense that he was trying to do. And I get it. And there were parts of me, you know, that my heartstrings were actually pulled and tugged on in the sense of like me feeling like, oh, well, me too. Absolutely. I, guess I got worked. I was, I was like, like, oh, this is moving me a little bit. But if then you're going to, if you're going to, yeah. If you come at somebody for their culture, if you, no matter who, we, we of course defend people of color constantly because it's historically always been that. But of course, if you come at somebody on the flip side just for being from the South or for be, you know, talking a little different or being a little less educated, then you're despicable as well. But I just think that there was such a missed opportunity in this type of storytelling and the fact that it clearly was probably just in the nature of whatever the story originally it's, was. It's pure Oscar bait, wouldn't you say? Like, oh, this 100%. Is, this that's is, what I mean by trauma porn. So you're you're a, you're probably a pan on this as well. Yeah, I am a pan. Yeah, I was I was very upset the entire movie. And and I think there is actually with this crazy year, I think Glenn Close gets in. I think even as bad as this movie is, mm, there, I think she gets in for supporting actress because she is good. She was she a, is the best thing in the movie. She established a great character. Yeah, her character was the most interesting thing to watch. Like um, the scene where she holds his algebra test and she like I like got choked up a little bit. It's like, oh, that's touching. Like there's remnants of this movie. It's not it's not like awful in the sense that it's not unwatchable. It's watchable, but when you get the whole picture and you get it all together, it's like certain pieces just don't add up, right? Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also. He he makes a lot of choices that are the way they frame the film. Ron you gotta Howard tell me really what you thought about Amy Adams of, too. I will, yeah. I, I'll say this: uh, the way Ron Howard frames the film for me is uh, lackluster because I feel like we see him at different points when we should be rooting for him, and we see him at his worst. And I think he's trying to say something with that, and it doesn't land. And then I also think that. Amy Adams is not utilized to the best of her ability in this film. She's used, again, like I said, trauma porn in the sense that we really use and utilize every aspect of her dramatic wheelhouse that she can scream and cry and go through insanely terrible things and be very high energy and be violent and be all these things. But we don't see, we don't get to see enough of her redeeming qualities. And she's only this charming little picture of a mom where when she's smiling she's you know wow she was a a beautiful wonderful woman and you know that's all we have about her we don't have like who she really was as a person there wasn't oh she was smart it's like we never see that on display so it's one of these things where she very well may have been you know very charismatic and and full of character and and traits that we would have loved to have you know admired and, and and felt for but it's one of those situations where she's just she becomes her plight so she's just this drug addict who's who does who abusive drug drug addict who does terrible things so yeah i agree it's she doesn't get a lot to work with i and think then, she does what she can and then frida pinto is jd vance's like indian girlfriend like they just throw that in there as a side yeah. plot, as a subplot, and it's mm-hmm. like never seen somebody more wasted in a movie than Frida Pinto, who is in Slumdog Millionaire, yeah. great, great actress, who is just like yeah. this side character. And Haley and Haley Bennett is great too. I always love Haley Bennett. She's a welcome addition. But right, what does she? What does she really do? This is just prime. Like we're gonna douse the people. We're gonna douse the actors in heavy garb and costume. We're gonna make them completely unrecognizable. We're gonna have Amy Adams throw on some weight. We're gonna, you know, that's the kind of. It's just, it just reeks of like Oscar prestige. And you know, when they were making this, that was the that was the objective. Like all this, they're ma- they're making something here, and yeah. I see it playing really well across demographics. And you know, this could be another Green Book situation where you know, general consensus is like, yeah, this is fine no. or this is okay. I don't think it has the legs. You know, I don't think don't it has think the so? legs. No, I don't think it has the holding power. There's too many things 
that are going to muddle up so the water and, yeah. and when people, yeah, I think the timing too, the fact that we're getting it now instead of a little bit later, I think it could have been an upset, but I don't think it'll hold. Very true. Very good. Very, very, very good. Um, any last thoughts you want to say before we move on? No, I, I mean, I just don't think, I think if you want to have, Howard, uh, you know, what are you doing? He, yeah. He, if you want to get really upset, then sure. If you want to just get upset, because to me, it was just upsetting. It wasn't even like, well done. Like, there wasn't a great silver lining. And then it, to hear that this guy is the way he is in real life is all the more upsetting. But yeah. Well, and he, he's just, he's just so inconsistent. He does like rush, which is really good. And then he'll make it in the heart of the sea, which I didn't see, but it wasn't anything like outstanding. He, I was talking about the little character, the lead character, I mean. Of the, oh, uh, oh, 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 gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, adds to onto, worst, onto better things. Um, we're going to talk about Happiest Season, which is a Hulu comedy, when we come back. I just woke up thinking about going home with you and got very excited about Christmas. I get to go meet the people that made my favorite person. I'll always take December away over summer. Abby, you and Harper have a perfect relationship. She is my person, and I really want everyone to know that. I want to marry her. What are you doing on your phone? I left a gentleman alone in my apartment, so I'm tracking him to make sure he leaves. You're tracking him? Yeah, I track everybody. If the NSA can do it, so can I. I'm so excited. I can't believe I'm finally going to meet everyone. There's something that we should talk about. I didn't tell my parents I'm gay. So who do they think I am? This is Harper's orphan friend, Abby. Yes, of course. They're there. You're so brave. You don't need to be. I cannot believe I've got all my daughters under one roof. So her parents believe their straight daughter brought home her lesbian friend for Christmas? Not exactly. They also think that I'm straight. Have they ever met a lesbian? This is why I avoid Christmas. It brings out the worst in everything. I've always skated circles around you. <laughs> I love it when they do this. You're such a cheater! Makes it so fun. No, Just be yourself. But don't lie. You're a very bad liar. Really? Harper. This is Abby. Abby is my orphan roommate. We, I am an orphan, but we live together as friends. Um, like acquaintances. Oh, please stop. Yeah. Bells ring out on the... I can relate to being in love with somebody that is too afraid to show the world who they are. <laughs> What are you doing in the closet? So, Happiest Season, uh, it tells the story of the lead character is Kristen Stewart, and she and her girlfriend, played by Mackenzie Thomas, are going Mackenzie home Davis. to davis my goodness whatever my brain is fried covid um <laughs> i that's my new excuse i always mess way. up i always botch names so please, yeah please well that's my no that's my new excuse i, I, I say covid brain <laughs> and then i just you know we move right along um but no uh mackenzie thomas so it, it tells Trail the story of, you know, film. Yes, this this sort of uh, couple going home to meet the parents and we find out the parents don't know that, you know, one of the girls is a lesbian and that she has, you know, this isn't her just her roommate. It's her girlfriend played by Kristen um, Stewart. Yes, Kristen Stewart is the hidden, you know, secret in all of this. And Mackenzie Thomas is the um, woman going home to meet her family, to spend time with her family. And uh, Kristen Stewart, a big family. part of the, yeah, a big part of the plot is that Kristen Stewart, um, it's a recurring joke, um, doesn't have family so much anymore. Her parents passed away at a young age, and she kind of has this. She hates the holidays. Christmas because, yes, reminds her of repressed memories. 
Yes, and let's say, let's just say, like, perfect casting with Kristen Stewart in that Listen, role, because I don't, I'm sorry. I've been a fan of Kristen Stewart, and I know you didn't I, like Underwater, but man, I loved Underwater, and I think part of it is because of Kristen no, Stewart. She's great. She I was struggle. Good. I struggle. She was good in the Charlie's She's Angels. So unexpressive. No, and I, I will, disagree. And, and, I disagree. And I, will, and I will just I stand say, for Kristen Stewart. She's so muted, and I and I hate that. No, I hate. Listen, I hate the conjecture around it with people because there are a lot of like real misogynists who come in and like she doesn't smile, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about anything she does to me is so muted and so ineffectual. It does. It, I don't feel like she cares about any character that she plays. So like that's my feeling. I disagree. It's just that I don't. When I watch her, I'm never. Oh, this like, is going to really be a Christian Stewart debate. I didn't know this podcast. But, I didn't know this well, was well listen, out. listen, listen, listen. I will. She she impressed me in this because well, a I think she was cast well, and b um, I thought she was cast was well in that, Underwater and the Charlie's Angels reboot no, too, and the no, Runaways. No. And she's got she's got a good career. You just don't want to see it that way. Any, uh, okay, that's not what. I'm okay, we're not Stewart talking fan. about Kristen Stewart's career. We anyway, are. this is now, this is Plaza, what it's become. Aubrey Plaza should have been a much bigger part in this, and there's a lot of <laughs> internet. There's been a lot of what's like, actually been saying on Twitter that certain character maybe should have ended up with a certain character. Like people were rooting for Riley, which is the character Aubrey Plaza plays, which is great. She's great. Aubrey Plaza is fine. Riley. Well, because Aubrey Plaza is so charismatic and she pops on screen anything she's in, especially now that she's like clearly found a way to not be as eccentric on screen always. Like that's she's definitely cooled she, down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. She struggled with like, you know, only having an awkward persona and only being seen that way and only getting those characters. But then you put her in a normal character. I say normal, but you know, whatever. We didn't really get to know the character that well. But when you put her in a relatively average character and she pop still you're like wow there's something about her that i want to watch more of dan levy is at uh, a really good great supporting role sort yep. of supporting comedic role um and it's directed and by clee duvall think- who obviously from she has history she was in uh, the, uh one of my favorites i love the faculty great film and but i'm a cheerleader also girl interrupted and i kind of yeah. want to do this conversation so this is this is crazy because it, it was originally going to be distributed by sony this holiday season it was going to theaters it was going to be a mainstream studio comedy in theaters and obviously the pandemic has a funny way of changing things so hulu picked it up and i guess it's their gain obviously but i there is a part of me that is kind of sad to think that hmm well I would have liked to have seen this in theaters because we would have – it's a love-hate relationship because this is a movie that should have been in theaters. I would love to see it had been successful at the box office, and then we could have looked at it and said, wow, these films can be made theaters. We can distribute it in big movies, and they turn in big money. But also the idea with it going to streaming, though, is it takes away that pressure to where it can just – instead of focusing on the financial aspect of it and how it does in the theaters, you can just be like, oh, this is a good, wholesome movie that is successful for streaming. But I don't and want people love it. People love it, and I don't it's, want it to be. I don't want that to be moment. the norm because I think that these movies can break out beyond streaming, and I think they can be made by mainstream studios. I think lesbian-themed Christmas films or gay-themed Christmas films, men, can be successes at the box office. Um, it's no surprise this movie got I, greenlit after Love Simon, after the success yeah, of yeah. Love Simon. I hear you, and I agree that we do that. That it's important. Representation, of course, matters, and of course, it's about. You know, it needs to. Sh- we need to show that it's business effective as well. But I think that the fact that this is far more accessible for people on Hulu, on a platform like Hulu, is also very uh, pertinent to the whole like 
uh, you know, cultural moment around it. So I'm very happy that everyone can see this and that it can be playing in homes, you know, everywhere. So it's a new Hanukkah classic. So much more easily. I think I think it's gonna be it's gonna show up in everybody's rotation. I think on Halloween, or Halloween it's Christmas now. It's very it's very um by it's the just, end. It's just I sweet and it's just delightful. And yeah. we didn't talk about this, but Mary uh, Steenbergen is hilarious as the mother. Yeah, Victor, Victor Garber, Garber as the dad. Um, Allison, Allison Brie. Brie, and then I think Mary Holland it's, almost steals the movie. Yeah. Mary Holland is hilarious. It's like eccentric sister who's like, yeah, she sleepwalks. She has all these like disorders. And she's like, there's a running gag in the movie about her book she's writing. And then at the end, it really has a good payoff. Yeah. And then at the end, she is, she is going to get some work from this. She was a great energy throughout the movie. Yeah. Much needed. They really just, they really like, the thing I loved about this movie was I did, they didn't phone it in. And they also didn't, in terms of like the character writing. And they also, all the characters were really, uh, really well written. And they all had an arc that you could follow that was appreciative. You know what I mean? Yes. And there's they been were, some discourse, though, they about... were cared for. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, there's they, been some discourse. They were care- oh, sorry. Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they were done. Really, they really cared. No, I was trying to go. They really cared about clearly, like, the placement of the characters, too. And, like, when you talk about arcs, but also just the, like, the, 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 the math of this, the variables of this. They really didn't, there wasn't anything missing from this holiday, you know, Christmas movie. Yeah, right. It had all the tropes, but it but it was dumb. It's it still felt fresh, even though it was following the formula. There, there's actually been more Twitter discourse, I think, of this film than any Star Wars film I have seen as of late because of a certain character's <laughs> toxicity towards another one. Because I mentioned um, the Kristen Stewart character and the Aubrey Plaza character, a lot of people were shipping that online. Oh, of and course. Of, and, and so it's just it is it is. You know, I don't know if people are actually really, you know, meaning it or if they're just being playful, but there, it has been, some of it's been like, oh, wow, that's a take, you know, and like people are actually not liking the, it's like, it started, it's, it's just Twitter, right? I, it's take it with a grain well, of salt. Well, that's part of it though. Yeah, that's part of it though. No, that's going to be, I think a big thing when as more and more people see this movie is that I feel the same in some ways. Like I really wish part of me, the characters, the, uh, like they didn't end up the way they ended up because yes, I will say the one character who is the most annoying is like the central, like why everything happens character mm-hmm. um, played by Mackenzie Thomas. She's Mackenzie the, Davis. The, 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 Davis. No wait, You said Thomas. You, you switched me. You switched no, it up. No, it's remember. Mackenzie Davis. No. You, okay. I don't remember. I and I'm I lost now. COVID brain. Anyway. <laughs> um, I know, but she, Either way, she's the one who this this is like the inciting impetus for everything that happens in the movie, really. And she is like to me the most on like the most bland character in the in, and also the most uh, upsetting at times, the most like annoying character. This could have been a generic one-dimensional screenplay with archetypal characters, and it wasn't. These are honest yeah. characters, plausible backstories, and yes, it exists within familiar narrative boundaries, but it still manages, like I said, to seem fresh. And I and I think we both agreed this is a warmer side we're seeing of Kristen Stewart, a much warmer side than we see in it other made me, programmers. It, yeah, it made me like and root for Kristen Stewart, which feels like an impossible feat. And she so has good chemistry that, with and and Kristen Stewart. She has good chemistry not with just with Davis, but with everybody. Like like you said, Plaza. She has great everyone. chemistry with everybody in this film. Even Allison Brie, yeah. even her have a good chemistry. It's like she's so yeah. likable, and I'm glad that she's finally getting some attention. I, I've always been – I've never not been a fan of Kristen Stewart, so now I'm like – I'm kind of like been on this train for a little bit, and people like are now starting to come around, a.k.a. you. And I was like, did anybody see Underwater? Because I was very – a champion of that film. This is not her. what people care about her in. They care about her <laughs> but in no, Twilight, but no, you I fool. am saying, I am saying post-Twilight world, I have been championing – championing – champion. What the hell? How do I say this word? Championing. I have been championing 
Kristen Stewart's career, and I've been loving the choices that she's making and the movies that she's been making. I know Charlie's Angels was yeah. a reboot that nobody wanted, but she was the best thing in that movie. And I and I liked Underwater it was a monster flick, but that movie would not have worked as well without like, Kristen Stewart. Did yeah. you like Seaberg? I didn't watch Seaberg, so I can't speak. Yeah, to that. watch watch it, and then oh, you'll you did, speak did you? a little differently. <laughs> I did, I did. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, that was supposed to be her Oscar a, vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Although they are, uh, speaking of Oscars vehicles, um, Netflix just uh, announced that Demi Lovato is being campaigned Best Supporting Actress for Eurovision. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so watch out! Watch out, Glenn Close, because Demi Lovato is coming for you. Newcomer Demi Lovato. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you know what? It's the end of the podcast, Matthew. Uh, it's been nice chatting, but you know what time it is? You know what time it is? I don't know what time is it. Oh, it's time for our picks and pans. <laughs> uh, it felt, felt so good to just get it, get it out there and say it. It's been a while. We've been off. It's been almost. It's been almost a month. So come on, we're having some fun. Uh, yeah. Um. Let's yeah, talk I almost about. Forgot. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> if anybody, they're not. They're not. They're not listening by this point. I think we're just talking to ourselves on no, audio. It's just no you one's and I, here. That's fine. No one's here. That's fine. <laughs> All right. That's fine. Maybe they skip ahead. I don't know. No one's here. If you're here, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well done. All right. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna go with my pan this week. My pan Go for it. is um, it's a called Super Intelligence, and it's a Melissa McCarthy comedy that aired on HBO Max, and it made me. It's a super. She plays a. I don't even know what the name was. Carol Peters. Yeah, that was her name. Oh my god, I remembered. And James Corden voices this AI, this artificial intelligence, and he wants to absorb the world, observe the world, and determine if it's worth saving. If he just wants to destroy it and start over, and he decides to follow melissa mccarthy's character it's it's about as fun as it sounds honestly and i'm convinced that ben falcone who directed this film and he's directed who's her husband melissa mccarthy's husband who's directed tammy the boss he's directed a bunch of stuff she's in and i'm just convinced that he hates her because he always gives her these terrible movies to, to be in i like melissa mccarthy i think she's fine this movie was hot trash what is your pan matthew my pan is the entire Sony Corporation for what they've done to my holiday season. Your pan is a PlayStation um, 5, but your pick is also a PlayStation 5. My, yeah, my, my picks are both PlayStation 5. Sony, please turn this around for me. I have COVID. Take pity on my COVID brain and soul. Um, anyway, no, that's my pan. Uh, my pick, however is I'm actually going to go with Happiest Season because it, nice. it actually Not brought, specifically Kristen brought, Stewart. Not Kristen Stewart, um, actually Aubrey <laughs> Plaza, um, and it brought joy to my cold, cold COVID heart as I was watching it. Good, good. Uh, I don't know. There's there's a lot this week. I don't know if I want to say this. Uh, I'm just gonna say it. My pick is Soul, and I, you probably didn't know that that could be picked because you probably would have chosen it. <sighs> yes, I wasn't aware, but I'll just pick on our next um, episode. Yeah, well, I could save it because there's a lot of things I could champion. I mean, I liked the undoing as NGHBO is really worth checking out. Um, you know, I'm gonna watch it. Things. I'm actually gonna watch it tonight. I'm gonna watch it right after when we get off. Oh, this podcast convinced you? 
you did it i'm i you know what because well i also you said who done it and i didn't know it was a who done it i knew there were like a mystery aspects to well there's it, but there's there's a, mur- there's a there's a trial the husband there's there's a mystery that somebody was somebody was killed i love agatha christie I it's, it's I not, historically it's not like a murder. It, well, it is a murder mystery in a sense that you got to try and piece together who was who did it. But and it's been fun. Like I've that. actually been like, oh, maybe they did it for this reason. I've actually I've been doing that as the episodes go along, and that's not happened. Very I much. liked Murder on the Orient Express, I and of course, too. Knives Out. Uh, Hugh Grant is great and charismatic, and Nicole Kidman and Donald Sutherland is just it's just a good limited series. It ends tonight. I'm actually as soon as we get off here, I'm gonna go start prepping for it because I need to get in that mindset. Um, well, Matthew, I, I'm gonna say we might talk about next week, but you know our schedules, and I don't want to get the people. You know, we might come back next week. Maybe we'll come back in two weeks. I don't know. I'll, maybe yeah, we just go I with know. the structure. We just see what happens. But in the go meantime, the everybody, in the meantime, just wash your hands, please. Wear your mask, please. Social distance. We are at a crucial point to fight the pandemic. Uh, maybe next time we'll have PlayStation 5s and we can do a review and we can talk about that. You heard the way I spoke this entire episode. You don't want COVID brain. I'm, I promise you. You don't want COVID. You don't want part of this. <laughs> you're right. Um, well, everybody, thanks again for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, subscribe. If you're still listening at this point, please let us know. I want to know, wow, we should give, we'll give you maybe a sticker or something that you made it to the end. Um, um, and as a reminder, you can and get- I voted sticker. And I voted sticker. I listened to the entirety of the Picks and Pans podcast. Anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, <laughs> you can get all my reviews at theonlycritic.com. See you later, everybody.